We thank the Lord that Brother Scott Kittleberger from Syracuse, New York is willing to serve us tonight. We ask that you would pray that you would keep him in your prayers and also pray for an open mind that you would be able to receive that which the Lord provides. Before we start with a prayer this evening, I just want to mention what a blessing it is to be up front here and hear the singing this evening. Um, it's a little bit of a potluck on the Sunday night when we come after everybody is so tired. Um, but uh, it was really wonderful tonight, and it was uh, inspiring and encouraging uh, to hear the hymns that were sung. And I feel in some ways that the Lord has already blessed the event just by the the, the singing of, of the hymns to music. Would you uh, please turn with me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we come before you with just a tremendous sense of reverence this evening as we think of the work that is laid out ahead of us this week that 900-some-odd campers will come with totally different lives and totally different thoughts, even with totally different expectations. But because thou art the great God that you are, that 900 some some odd people can simultaneously be blessed through the working of thy Holy Spirit and thy Father arm that reaches down to touch us in our need. We're so grateful, Lord, to be able to share this week with each other and before thy word and before thy throne. And pray, Father, that this week would change us and make us into different people to rearrange and refocus our place and our purpose and our calling in life. And pray, Father, that as thou would work with us effectively, it would yet be gentle but firm as thy spirit would speak to each one. We pray these things in faith believing, claiming the blood of the Lord Jesus as our opportunity to come and pray directly to thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was unable to attend the the fall advisor meeting when this theme was picked. But when I heard what the theme was going to be, I was really glad. One, one aspect of the theme I think that all the brothers look for is a theme that has a lot of possibilities to be taken in many different directions from the brothers who would be entrusted with the responsibility to teach and to preach. And uh, I believe, though, that it's the moving of the Spirit that motivated this theme that we can speak about for this week. And I, I feel convicted this evening that the main role of this first sermon of the week uh, should be a kind of peppering of some ideas, throwing some stones in the water, so to speak, to stir our thinking about what might come. And clearly this, uh, this theme of a fear and love really speaks uh, directly to a central aspect of our relationship with God because as I 
sat down and thought about the theme, I realized that, you know, the concepts that we have and the teachings that we have, the biblical teachings or whatever teachings we've, we've absorbed about the, the duality between love and fear has so much to do with our relationship with God and how our motives and our activities, our plans, our purposes, and our calling is formed. Because uh, fear and love are some of the perhaps two basic motivators of our personal walk with the Lord. And I would hope this week, as, as we all fall under the instruction of the word, that we would be willing to really consider this theme personally. Most importantly, personally, about your walk in love or your concepts of fear as how you relate to God. Because I think that they really are important factors in our journeying together with the Lord. And as I was thinking about some of the uh, things that the Bible teaches us about fear and love, I couldn't help, as I'm sure some of you also could not help but to be reminded of the ancient words recorded by Moses that are part of every Jew's daily prayers in the Shema Yisrael that speak about loving God. And loving God is such an important thing that that ethnic group has you know, built it into their background that part of the daily prayer would be centered around this theme. And we can read it from the book of Deuteronomy where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You know, we can each ask ourselves the question, so how do these words ring true for me and for you of my love for God? With all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. Now I wonder, can these things be said of me? Can these things be said of you? We have been given such a gift in this week, a gift of time, a gift of one full week that God has given to us out of our lives to be able to focus on this theme. And it's not random. When God picks these kinds of themes and the timing of these themes, we experience over and over again, they're just fit, so to speak, by the doctor's orders. When I come to camp, perhaps it's like you, when you come, that every year I, I feel somehow that like I'm at a crossroad. I'm at a crossroad this week. And like any crossroad, when you get to it, you know, you, 
You, you might look at the road ahead, but of course one can look at the road back from which we came from. And, and I think we take stock of that when we come to camp. And I look back on the, the previous times that I've come and the road that, that I've journeyed on here. And I, I realize that for every camp, just like the Bible says, the seasons change. The seasons for each one of us change when we come. And I, I look back upon my path and I, I recall the blessings in the path that have led me to this place. But as children of God, we're not romantics. I look back on the path and I also I recall the pain. And I see where I've come from. But at this crossroad, this week, we will turn our hearts toward things to come. And the road yet ahead, not the road back. And when we consider the theme of of love and fear in the road forward... we realize that for God's purposes and for many of us, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Because I read the end of the book, and you read the end of the book, and I know how it ends. And we win. And God wins. And there comes a time in life where, where God gives us these, these moments where, where, so to speak, we can kind of hear the angels singing. In, in that day when each of us get the call, but early, we can hear the angels singing. We can hear the songs of victory. And in a week like with this, is a week where we're also given a blessing sometimes that we can dream of things to come. We can dream of things to come and we can ask ourselves, is my journey with the Lord from this point on going to be motivated by fear? Or motivated by my love and devotion toward Him? And what is it that I have to be afraid of? What is it that sometimes creates us to be locked in in these situations of life. But you know, the Bible tells us that God's children are called to be people of vision and people of dreams. And when God gives his children visions and gives his children dreams, it's not to establish that we're supernatural in some way as other groups would teach. No, we're given visions and we're given dreams in order to provide for spirit-filled lives that are according to God's ways and directions and God's timing. As we often have to remind young people, it's all about God's timing. Well, this is what the Bible says about in the last days, which I think we all agree that we're living in. 
The Bible tells us that God's children will begin to have visions and see dreams. I'm reading now from the Acts, but as you know that these same verses are first written in the prophet Joel, where the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and my handmaids, that's you and me, upon my servants and my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. I, I take this symbolism to mean unbelievable and unexpected things. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, for me, that's one of the visions and one of the dreams that I have for this week, that the Spirit will use this week to draw those in his love and to deal with fears that would keep hearts away from the Father. There are about six areas of Scripture from this point that I would like to share with you this evening that are just some stones in the water about the topic of love and fear. As the Lord has inspired um, thoughts in my own heart about this topic, and I, I would like to begin with reading the text uh, from which the, uh, the verse comes in First John chapter 4. I'm sure that brothers are going to be taking this theme in all different directions. And uh, I, I just wanted to draw your attention as we find these verses in 1 John 4, beginning with 17, the context in which these words were originally written about perfect love casting out all fear, because I, I find it to be a central thing that many Christians deal with that have to do with their own assurance, their personal assurance of salvation. Please listen very carefully to the words that I choose and how I mean them to the believer's assurance of salvation. Let's read the words first of the Bible. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. For fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. A few comments about some of the language that's used in these verses to make sure we 
understand the concepts well. Here in these verses, when the word perfect is used, the concept is really one of completeness. Herein is our love made complete. Though we would have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, the boldness that the Bible love is speaking here in the day of judgment maybe would be better used a word like confident. That we may be confident in the day of judgment. And when, when we read the verse here, because fear hath torment, what that means is that fear is really related to punishment. That's what it means. Fear is related to punishment. But th- the context of the verse then tells us that for the believers, we're, we are not motivated as we come before God by the concept of punishment. And for believers in God, there is a certain confidence that we can have as we approach the day of judgment. There are two principles that the Bible teaches us. We draw stakes in the ground for these principles, and these two principles, when we drive the stakes in the ground, are, are, are at a, such a distance from each other that we actually can't quite sometimes hold on to both stakes at the same time. We can hang on to the one stake, and, and, and we kind of hang on to the other stake, and and they've got to let go of that one and hang back onto this one. So I just would like to get these principles right. The Bible teaches that God's children can lose their faith. They can. They can happen. But the possibility of losing one's faith should not be a real driver in the life of a believer. Because the Bible also teaches us that for those that live a vibrant, spirit-led, devoted, active, healthy faith, our eternal salvation is not in doubt. And for you and me, whenever the Lord is going to call us, on that day when for you and me the trumpet is going to sound, I pray that that would not be a day that any of us are looking toward with trepidation in our heart, with any sense of regret, with any sense of fear of what it's going to be like when we stand before the Lord. And I have... I have been around some who I've known to be faithful believers. And and as they approach that moment, their personal eternal salvation, they don't feel an assurance of it. And I have realized that the reason why they have those doubts at that moment actually have been because of of the incompleteness, I believe, of the biblical learning that they've had. Or maybe this is just the point in their life where the stakes are just a little bit too far apart and they're struggling to hold on to both of them at the same time. So we have to have a sense of compassion because that happens to all of us upon occasion that we can't grab both stakes at the same time. It happens. 
But nevertheless, I can tell you that for me, the assurance of my salvation before the Lord is not something that is even remotely in doubt. I'm absolutely sure when I meet him of what his words are going to be. I know he's going to say, well done. And yet at the same time, when I look at the life that he has given me and so on, I am not complacent with where I am, neither do I think any of you are. For we know that as we yield ourselves more and more to the Spirit, there always is the possibility for more fruit. And I would say the older that I get, the more I realize that I become less and less um, uh, uh, complacent, so to speak, about the fruit in one's life. But I, I would really like to meet that day when, you know, for me, my life, like yours, is like one of the sand dials. You know, and for all of us, he has a sand dial for each one of us. And for me, when the sand runs out, when the sand runs out, I hope and pray that there's still sufficient energy, enthusiasm, and zeal to be able to, in my heart, give a victory lap before he calls me home. The assurance that we have, the believer has to understand this, it's not based, it's not based on a behavior. It's based on something deeper. It's, it's based on an identity that Jesus gives to us, an identity that we can claim and continue to claim, or an identity that we can choose to abandon. This identity can be abandoned. But as I speak with many brothers about the things and challenges that they meet of in their churches, we, we all kind of agree we're facing the same thing in many ways, that many believers have what maybe would be called an ill-formed identity in Christ. Who they are before the Lord is kind of unclear, fuzzy, gray, in doubt. The Bible tells us these kinds of words in 2 Corinthians 5. That the identity that we have in Christ is something that he gives to us. It's something that we choose to embrace as a gift that he has given. And the Bible tells us, tells us these kinds of words from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, and you all know this verse, we all know this, but... It says, For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. By Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of of reconciliation. He's given us the potential to be reconciled. And furthermore, it says that, you know, God was in Christ 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. But he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That doesn't mean he gave us the Bible. That's not what that means. It means that he has, he has given to us a, a revelation of being reconciled to him. And he's given us a total new identity that the Bible calls a new creature that's from him. So you and I can still choose to believe in our life as an example that God has a plan for you and he has a plan for me and he has a calling for you in his life and he has a calling for me in my life and he wants us to be drawn to that calling based on a devotion that we have for him because the Bible told us right here that we read it in the verse that he, he loved us first. We don't love him you know, because of, of our behavior being modified, we love him because he showed that emotion to you and me first. And because we experience that kind of love of God, we don't have to approach God with a sense of fear and trepidation and of punishment and scolding. Do I do all things right in my life, and do you do all things right in your life? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we still do wrong things in our life that largely you know, has to do at some times with the ignorance that we have and not being able to view things with God's eyes, but we view it from our own eyes. And you and I are also suspect to attitudes of carnality that will come our way where our thinking is not formed in a new way by the Spirit of Christ. And these things the Bible says are sin. But the identity that I've been given is not, you know, based on the ignorance that I have at times. It's not based on the stubbornness or not based on the pride that some of us at times would have. The, the identity that we have is something that is given from God. And that identity tells me that my Father knows me by my name. And that identity tells me that he formed me in my mother's womb. And he knew the affairs and the path of my life before I took my first breath. And when I go to him with troubles and uh, burdens that I have in my life, I don't surprise him with anything that I come to him with. Like, I feel like I, he might not know about this. You know, I come to him, I can come to him with the confidence of one that knows all and knows me and loves me and cares for me and there's nothing that goes by him unnoticed and there's nothing that I go through that he hasn't ordained. And he's also told me that there's nothing that I will go through in my life that I cannot uh, approach with, without a sense of victory for him to be the overcomer. And because God has given us this identity in life, we can see through the pain to find the blessing
And we can share in that moment with God when he created all things and he called it good. So it is one day for you and I when he arranges all the affairs of our life and he calls it good. We can see it his way. The Bible teaches us in Galatians 6 that for in Christ Jesus there's neither circumcision which availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. Do you understand that the identity that we're given has nothing to do with our physical bodies? It has nothing to do with the scars that we bear. It has nothing to do with the things that have happened to us. The creature that we're made into has a different kind of source. And there might be some among us that for whatever reason feel that they've been born broken. Have you met anybody like that? That somehow they feel that they're, they're just broken. I mean, there's something genetic in them that caused them to be broken. And, and by the word of God and through a verse like this, we can tell them, not so, not so. First of all, we're all broken before God. None of us are more broken than the other. But the identity that we can have in Christ that gives us meaning and purpose and peace and enthusiasm and energy and perseverance and faithfulness are things that he gives, not things that we earn or we deserve. The Bible teaches us very special things about who we are before God in our identity. It teaches us in Romans chapter 8, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the sons of God. Reminds all of us, God doesn't have grandchildren. He just has children. He just has children. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba. Which means, whereby we have the right to call him Dad. Father. It says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. And we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs with God. And joint heirs with Christ. You know, the Bible tells us these very special revealed revelation kinds of things in order to form our identity of who we are. And the Bible teaches us that he regards his children, on some level, as being a joint heir with Christ. And of course he favors us with his blessing. And of course he favors us with his purpose and his calling that he wants us to pursue. And I, I, I personally believe that each believer has a personal calling for their life. That by and large, our fruit-bearing and our service for the Lord is something that is given on an individual basis. And herein lies another great principle 
of the duality between fear and love. How many of us are afraid to find our calling? How many of us are afraid if we find our calling that it's going to cost us something? And we're afraid of making the down payment on the calling, so to speak. I wonder how many of us that to follow the leading of the Lord, which by the way, this is, this is the honor system. This is totally the honor system. I can't tell you what your calling is before God and you can't tell me what my calling is before God. But you know what? If I've discerned in my life what my calling is and I can give a testimony of what my calling is and you give me a testimony of what your calling is, there has to be a certain level of respect there of believing that and trusting that the other one has done due diligence to really pursue God's guidance and his direction in your life. And he wants the main thing for you to give of your resources and your energy is in a calling. And in that calling, he also plans on discipling you and me. And the Bible teaches us that as he has given us these callings and he uses things, right? the Bible teaches that if we're faithful to him in these things, that there's going to be yet other things that we're called to in life. Callings can change. But some people have one calling that lasts a lifetime. And God also really means, as we pursue the calling that he has given us, He means for us to feel his pleasure. Because in most callings in life, unless they are bathed in prayer, we are always reminded of our inability and our incapacity and our being undone to really meet up with the challenges of the calling. And I dare to say that there have been many a believer that have embarked on great adventurous affairs only to have been broken by the events of life largely because they have underestimated the kind of spiritual intestinal fortitude that they needed to find in their life in order to match with the challenges of the calling And I have the same kind of temptation that all of you do. That, you know, when, th- when I see things getting broken in my life, and, you know, there are times that we c- we're kind of overwhelmed about seeing things getting broken. Every time I turn around, there's something else that's getting broken. And, and we want to fix it. Well, brothers more so than sisters. But well, we want to fix it. For us to learn that as as much as you want to engage in trying to fix something, God always says, first and foremost, you have to learn to call on me. You have to learn to call on me. And even in your calling, 
It's not going to be any kind of smooth road where you can always see that far down about how things are going to end. Constant obstacles and shortcomings. And no money and no energy and, and all the things that come along with it. And God wants to remind us in the end that we find purpose and blessing in life from calling on him. And watch him engineer the events of life. And, you know, we're reminded in this regard, I don't, I'm not going to read all of the verses right now. I'm just going to read some of them from Matthew 25. The parable about the talents tells us such an important thing about fear regarding the third person in the parable. The first two, we know how it goes. Okay, and I, I just do want to remind you at this point before we read the verses that speak about the third person in the parable, that all of these believers, when they were entrusted with something, had to put the thing at risk in order to allow it to grow. It wasn't smooth sailing in that way. They had to do something with the gift that was given them to be able to bring reward. So if we're going to be investing of our time and energy and our things in life, if we think that there's always going to be a safe path that we can do it without some sense of risk, that's not what the Bible teaches. The silly thing is, for many of us, we actually expose ourselves to the wrong kind of risk. Right As we're discipling young people in the Lord, we find out that they're exposing themselves sometimes to risk that has to do with sin. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. You want to take risks in life, we actually should applaud and endorse and support and encourage and fan the flames of those who are willing to take certain risks in life that are risks for the Lord and for the kingdom. There are risks on the negative side of life and there are risks on the positive side of life. And are we willing sometimes to actually take the risk with things that might potentially bring good for the kingdom? We read when, when um, the one received of one talent, we read in Matthew 25, beginning with 24, it says, And then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hadst not strawed. And I was afraid. I was afraid. And went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. And the Lord gives a very interesting response to this. He says, And the servant answered him, Thou wicked and lazy or slothful servant, thou knewest I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest to have done something different. You know, I think God is saying, well, when, he, when he painted this picture of the servant saying, you're a hard man, you know, 
You, 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 you make money even in areas when you don't invest things. I, 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 don't, I don't think the Lord bought into that. You know, the, the, the master said, well, if you wanted to believe those things, okay, you could believe those things uh, uh, about me. But, you know, what, what you should have done, even if you believe those things, what you should have done was, this lazy servant tells the whole story when he says, I was afraid. He was afraid somehow to take a risk. He was afraid of losing it. For the sake of the kingdom, sometimes we have to take risks. We have to take risks sometimes with money. Not everything always turns out good, and sometimes we're, we'd like to bring good from the material things that we invest, and it doesn't always happen that way, but that should not stop us from continuing to invest and give. Sometimes we invest, invest of our resources in areas that don't bring fruit, of our time, of our efforts. And yet at the same time, we realize, you know what, that we're all limited. We can't invest in everything. None of us can be all things to all people. We have to find the calling of the way the Lord wants to invest, the way he wants us to invest our time and our energies. And the Bible yet teaches us in Matthew 25, it says... For unto everyone that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. Because you know what? You and I have to believe that when we invest things, it's not our things that we're investing. You know, we have to remind ourselves over and over again, and I'm, I'm learning this you know, anew from scratch in my life. When God gives us time, it's not my time, it's his time. When he gives us financial resources, it's not my money, it's his money. Okay, when he gives us things that he really means for us to share also with others, he doesn't give it for us to selfishly consume upon ourselves. He gives it for us as a means to really share with others. Who's willing to take a risk for the kingdom? And you know what? Who's willing to support those who have taken risks for the kingdom and it didn't turn out all rosy? I remember hearing a story once of, uh, of, uh, of an individual, I don't even know who the person was, who, who was a missionary to Japan. And when this person was very up in years, he came to America and uh, did somewhat of a tour of speaking engagements, and somebody went to hear this person speak. And when they went to hear this old missionary that I recall, like was in their 80s, as as I recall how the story goes, when when they came and spoke, it, it was somewhat of a feeble message. And some of the listeners said, he, he didn't say much. 
And somebody from the row behind him tapped him on the shoulder and said, Excuse me. When you give your life as a sacrifice and virtually hang it on a tree, you don't have to say much. How do we laud and applaud those who have taken risks in faith, whether or not it's worked out, whether it hasn't worked out, but they tried. They tried. And you know what? The chances are very good with each of us, maybe as the Lord disciples us and trains us in our lives, that some of the first things that we actually try to lead in this calling are not going to turn out the way we want. But the Lord has a way of engineering things from above for his purposes. So what's our desire for tomorrow? I think our, if we're honest with ourselves, our desire of the Lord is actually three simple things. As we move forward to tomorrow with a sense of confidence and a sense of expectation, a sense of victory and a sense of purpose and a sense of confidence and a sense of knowing what's waiting for us. When we say our true desire of the Lord is for him to lead us in lives of fruitfulness, that he would prepare our hearts to risk again. He would prepare our hearts to risk to dream about what would be possible in the time that he has yet given us. Our desire and our trust is by taking simple steps of obedience Simple steps of obedience, one after the other. That we know, we know that he will lead us. May the Lord bless his word to us this evening. Let's sing from him. 325, the first and fourth verses.